Father in heaven, we just thank you, Lord, for your word, and we just pray, God, that you would continue to manifest yourself to us, Lord, that you would show us, Lord, what your word has to say concerning, uh, Lord, our future. And, uh, Lord, that it's, it's just wonderful to know that we're not going to be a part of that future, Lord, that we, uh, at least we won't be here on this earth for that future, that we're going to escape the, the craziness, Lord, that awaits for this earth and that we're not going to experience that kind of judgment. And so, Lord, um, we're grateful, Lord. And, Lord, I just specifically want to pray for uh, just a calm heart and mind, Lord, for uh, that which you would uh, have for these people, that, Lord, my heart would be just in, the, in a perfect place, Lord, to communicate your word, and that everybody's heart would be in a perfect place to hear it, Lord, and to receive it. And so uh, thank you, Lord, for this great joy and privilege and honor that we have to jump into your word. Lord, we just continue to ask that you would just show up, Lord. That's what we want, Lord. We want you to show up. We want you to be here. So, Lord, go before us now, Lord. Fill us with your spirit. Continue to speak to us and give us an understanding, Lord, of, of your word and what your word has to say. So, Lord, we love you, God, and we thank you. And we just ask these things in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so we are going to now jump into... Uh, the opening of the seventh seal. And so we've sort of been waiting for all the seals to be open, right? We've got the, the first six seals. And so now we're going into the seventh seal here. So um, we've kind of gotten through that. So let's just jump right into it. It's kind of interesting. And it says, And when he had opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven about the space of a half hour. Now, uh, you would not think that silence for a half hour would be all that big of a deal. But let me tell you, it's a substantial deal when you think about it. You know, I'm, I'm up here teaching, and for me, if there's a dead spot for even 10 seconds, some of you would look at me and think, oh, James is off of his game. Something's wrong, you know? You would think that something was was in air, right? If Chuck Smith had a pause for 10 seconds, you know, when we first used to listen to his Bible studies in Bible college, we'd hear a pause that would literally last sometimes 12 seconds, 15 seconds, and we'd think, What's wrong, you know? And we tap the tape player and think something was wrong, you know? And, and we just, we kind of freak out, right? But for him, it was characteristic to have, t- you know, pauses that long. You know, for me, obviously, if I pause that long, if I just sat here and did nothing, okay, let's just do that for just a second, right? And I'm even giving you a warning that I'm going to pause for just a few seconds, okay? Let's do that for just a second and see how that feels. You ready? Okay, here we go. It's already getting awkward, isn't it? Some of you are getting fidgety. Some of you are, as I'm hearing a few people do this for a little piece, some of you are clicking your pins, you know? It's kind of an awkward kind of a feeling. Why? Well, because silence, when somebody is not normally accustomed to being silent, can be a very, very intimidating thing, right? There have been times where people tick me off and, and you know, when I get angry, I'm loud and I'm aggressive. That's just me, right? No one will ever have to wonder where I stand. If I'm angry, typically I just respond and that's typically been my thing. You know, uh, if, if I'm upset with somebody, they're going to get confronted and they're going to get spoken to right away. And that's just always been me. I've always been the type of person that I get pretty, you know, I get pretty lit up and then right away I go and I literally confront it. I mean, immediately. It's just, hey, 
you know, what are you doing? What are you thinking? You know, that kind of a thing. And, you know, people get weird. And if someone gets weird with me, no way in the world I'm going to hesitate to not tell them exactly what's going on. It's funny. People that are new in this church will come up to me and they'll say, hey, Pastor James, are you mad at me? Is there something wrong? And then those of you that have been around here for a while kind of laugh at that question because you know if if Pastor James was mad at you or if Pastor James was bothered by something, he would not wait to explain to you his condition concerning you, right? I'm, I'm talking about myself as though I'm somebody else. But you know the idea. And so there have been a few times where I've been so upset, right? So angry, so bothered that I can't do anything except just keep silent. And in my silence, I don't say or do anything. I just can't because if I do, I know I'm going to absolutely lose my mind. And that silence to some people can be very deafening. It can be very, very difficult, right? And so it's interesting the idea that the seventh seal is opened up and there's silence. Now, I want you to keep this in mind. We understand the scene in heaven. We say that it's silent in heaven for a half hour, but silence in heaven for a half hour has to be something pretty, uh, pretty crazy. It has to be a freaky thing. And I'll tell you why it's got to be crazy and a freaky thing, because there is no silence in heaven, is there? In heaven, all there is, you hear it. We know there are people that are on the throne in heaven that are singing praises to God all the time. They're praising God because of the goodness that God has given them. And they're praising God because of his identity, who he is, and all that. So there's praising going on. There's all kinds of music going on. There's all kinds of uh, sound going on. And so you expect for it to actually be very, very noisy, so to speak. Not when I say noisy, that's not the right thing. You expect there to be a, a loud level. And when that level goes bye-bye when it goes away it has to be something that's pretty deafening now i think it's interesting because i think that the silence that we hear in heaven you know it's kind of funny silence that we hear you don't hear it if it's silence right but the lack of the lack of volume that exists in heaven at this point i think is almost like a moment of silence for that which is about to happen I think it's a grieving and it's a saddening aspect. I think it's a, it's an aspect of sobriety that God is literally about to light up the world with his judgment. And, and I think uh, I want to just make a quick comment. There are a lot of people. And I've even heard some recent teaching on this that would actually conclude that there's something significant with these numbers of sevens, you know, that basically you have, for example, the six seals. And then when the seventh seal opens, it's actually the beginning of the seven trumpets. And when you get to the last trumpet, it's the beginning of the other. And that's relatively significant. I would simply say, don't uh, look at that pattern as anything significant, because I think if you look at that pattern as anything significant, you might end up getting yourself into a trap. I don't think there's anything necessarily significant to that, I think there are more things that are significant that we need to be focusing on, like the fact that the bowls were real, right? Like the fact that the trumpets are very real. You know what I mean? And so the seventh seal opening, there's silence in heaven for about a half hour. This is God getting ready to pretty much destroy the earth. And in doing so, you know it has to be a sobering thing, right? I've always thought about this, and I used to think this way. Uh, with kids that were in high school ministry, you know, and, and, and uh, I had several high school kids that always used to talk about how exciting it would be for them to be soldiers, you know, hey, I want to be in the military, and, and you know, they, they buy their airsoft rifles, and they play their video games where they're shooting people in the video games, and they're wearing their fatigues every single time they come to church, and many of these kids, I would tell them, I'm like, you have no idea what you're asking to do. You have no idea what you're about to embark upon. You say it's, it's a glorious 
glorious thing and it's something that you want to do and it's it's something that you'd be excited to do. And and many of those kids actually did move on to get into the military. Many of them did not, but there's two kids that I can think of in particular that joined the military and, and it was sort of me discouraging them because I didn't think they had a real perspective on what was going on. One actually jumped into uh, actually spe- uh, special forces and actually airborne the whole nine yards, medic in special forces, and he would tell you right away, I mean, been in combat a bunch of times, he would tell you, actually wouldn't even want to talk about it, but he would say it was nothing like what he thought it would be, right? It's very sobering to be in an element like that. And then the other one, who's a police officer now, says it actually affects his job as a police officer. It actually affects the way he lives every day because of the kind of garbage that he saw overseas and the the things that he had to participate in and the things that he had to do. And when you think about it, it's like you just want to hold these kids and embrace them and give them a hug and and tell like, it's going to be okay. But there's a sobering element to what they're going to do, right? And and the, the kid who's actually a police officer... He says that it affects him so substantially that during the times where he's confronted with having to use deadly force, it's actually had him hesitate before because as a soldier, he's had to kill many people in the line of duty and he knows what it's like and it's a sobering element. Like he pulls out a gun and every time he pulls out his gun, he realizes he might have to take somebody's life and it's something that he takes very seriously, right? And if you talk to any police officer, we have many of them. I know many of them. I've been around for many of them when they've had to kill somebody. And you just think about the sobering aspect that that, that, that takes place. And the Lord, for the Lord here, as he's about to execute this judgment, it's a very sobering thing. And when I say sobering, I mean he's already sober in the sense that he completely understands what's going on. But that's, that's the issue. He knows exactly what's about to happen. He knows what the earth is about to embark upon. And so there's an element of awe and silent. I think it's interesting too. We see aspects of this in nature. I don't know if you guys really understand that concept, but in nature we see this kind of thing being repeated. I actually think the character of God is actually depicted in human nature sometimes. When you look at the character of God, uh, or in, not in human nature, in, well, in human nature, yes, but in actually regular nature. When we look at the environment around us, I think the character of God can actually be depicted. Characteristics of our creator are found in the way we see things Literally in, in, uh, around the earth. And I can give you an example of this. I, we've been talking about these storms that have been going on. You know, the one that just hit Puerto Rico and the craziness that's been going on in the islands and the ones that hit Florida and so on and so forth. Well, it's interesting because the, some of the meteorologists that are actually catching some of the data that's going on in the ocean, I mean, you have to imagine how crazy it is over there, it, it, the winds, how they're catching. Do you know, guys, that at some points those winds are hitting as high, ready for this, as 350 miles an hour sustained, sustained by the time it hits the tip of land? I mean, that means it's constantly blowing 350 miles an hour. Just to give you an idea of how crazy that is, right? We were just at an air show watching airplanes go crazy. 400 miles an hour, the sound of the air ripping through those wings is so loud it's deafening. Can you imagine wind coming at you at that speed? Those planes were going 350, 400 miles an hour. Can you imagine the the deafening element uh, of just simple wind that would be blowing it that way? That's wind that is so extreme, it's unbelievable. But what's deceiving about wind like that is if you are standing in the center of the storm, it is scary. It's so scary. It is deafeningly quiet. That's what they call the calm before the storm. 
If you're standing in the eye of that storm, if you're in the center when everything is spinning around you going crazy, literally, you guys, you don't feel wind. You don't, I mean, nothing. I mean, you might see some clouds above you, but it is one of these things that is so silent, it's actually eerie. It's crazy. You don't hear the birds. You don't hear anything because they're all run away because they all know what's coming. They've got a sense of what they're about to experience. Nature isn't, dogs aren't barking. Nothing's going on. And when you're in the eye of that storm, let me tell you, it is a one scary freaky experience right and that's what they call it the calm before the storm and it's again it's a picture of that deafening silence right or how about explosions that are so massive that before you even hear the noise of the sound because it's broken the sound barrier you hear nothing it's silence before you hear the noise and i think there's kind of a a picture here that's being drawn for us of of god who actually literally create silence in heaven before he executes the first of these judgments. I think that's a pretty substantial picture that we have. And and when you think about it, it's awe-inspiring. It's like, it's a type of judgment that we can't even, the words that we read in the Bible here can't even do justice to the level, the substantial amount of damage that's that's about to be described here, right? Good thing is, we're not going to be a part of that, right? Praise God, we're not going to have anything to do with it. So look what it says. It says, I saw seven angels which stood before the Lord, and to them were given seven trumpets. Now, I want to just say this as we're beginning to, to show the beginning of these trumpets. It is interesting that there were seven angels that were standing before the throne of God. Did you guys know that there was a Jewish tradition that actually said, or a Jewish belief that actually said that there were seven angels on the, you know, that standing at, at the throne of God at his ready? And so uh, that's sort of been the tradition, and apparently that tradition has sort of been solidified by what we read in Revelation. It would seem as though that tradition is actually correct to see these seven angels that are right there. And it is interesting, they now have seven trumpets. Now, what are the significance of trumpets? Well, trumpets, of course, uh, were significant in ways that we could never understand because we live in a society today and we live in a world today that has no necessity for a trumpet other than, you know, a cool jazz tune or something like that, right? Trumpets don't really mean anything to us anymore other than things that are ceremonially based. Why? Well, we have technology, right? If you want to warn all the troops that something is coming, what do you do? You get on the radio, you say, okay, boys, let's go. Let's charge, right? All the soldiers that are out there, they've got all their walkie-talkies and they've got all their communication ability and they, they, you know, everything is transmitted silently and quietly. Back in the day, that wasn't the case. Back in the day, trumpets were used not only to encourage the troops to move forward and to charge, but trumpets were also designed to warn the enemy that that judgment was impending. It was a tool that was designed for that. It was a notification tool. And it is interesting to think that God is resorting to this type of tool to warn of his impending judgment. Again, uh, another example of God's mercy and grace to basically say that these trumpets are going to sound off. And every time they sound off, it's going to be to, to signify that something deadly is, is about to happen. Something crazy is about to take place. And so this was the purpose of trumpets back then. Trumpets were for the war cry. Trumpets were the idea they were actually utilized, the purpose of trumpets was to actually teach people that hey something is coming right we're going to charge you the enemy is coming and that's the, the idea so you've got seven angels that have seven trumpets and look at this it says and another angel came and stood at the altar 
having a golden censer, and there was given unto him much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense which came uh, with the prayers of the saints ascended up before God out of the angel's hand. And it says, And the angel took the censer and filled it with fire, Uh, of the altar and cast it into the earth and there were voices and thunderings and lightnings and an earthquake now uh, i think that uh, the book of revelation and this is a fact that we should probably discuss for a second and i've even heard chuck say this and i think it's a wise way to put it i think the book of revelation really does reveal so much of what we see in the old testament and 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 there isn't a lot that the revelation talks about that's much more new than many of the things we read about in the old testament right so when you think about this let me you you take this 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 observation to its completion well then you can picture the idea of the tabernacle and the temple and the idea of how much God would love it when we would have fellowship with him, right? And back in the Old Testament days, the Lord loved it when you would go and you would offer a prayer to him. You would, you would go and you would seek him. And in doing so, you would put something on the altar. And in putting it on the altar, what would happen is you'd sacrifice the animal. The Lord would smell that smell and it was a sweet smell to him. And of course, even offering incense, which of course was a very, very expensive thing at that time. It was something that did not come, you know, uh, substantially cheap. It was something that was actually relatively expensive. They would take that incense, they would put it on the altar and, and, and that altar, the smell that was produced by that altar, the Bible says God loved that smell. And so the picture that we get and the symbolism that comes from that is that when we pray to the Lord, when the saints pray to the Lord, the Bible tells us that it's a sweet-smelling savor to God. He loves that smell. And Revelation is continuing to confirm that idea, that this is the prayer of the saints. And so God hears that prayer. He picks up the, the, you know, the, the, the scepter, basically, and, and, and literally waves it down towards the earth, and fire comes down towards the earth. By the way, it's a pretty crazy uh, picture that it gets. He takes the censer, he fills it with fire, with the fire of the altar, and casts it in the earth, and there were voices and thunderings and lightnings and an earthquake. In other words, it, it, I mean, it was significant. It was like, okay, I just heard your prayers and now we're about to answer you know and it's it's a pretty incredible thing i mean it's a pretty amazing thing when you when you consider the awe inspiring aspect of god's power and what he does and and how he knows how to simply answer you know what i'm talking about and 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 the lord loves it he loves us when we pray to him he takes that as a prayer to him he takes that as a sweet smell because he loves that smell it's something that he appreciates it's something that 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 pleases him right So it says this, it says, and the seven angels which had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound. So the idea is they're getting ready for the cry. And so, uh, the, you know, the battle cry. And this is kind of a significant thing too. So he's, they're preparing to sound, right? And then here we go. The first angel sounded and they're followed. This is verse seven, right? They're followed hail and fire mingled with blood. And they were cast upon the earth, and the third part of the trees was burnt up, and all the green grass was burnt up. Now, he's describing a bunch of hail and fire, and what appears to be this color of blood. This is a red color. And there's a few things that we need to talk about. First of all, a lot of people would say that this is metaphorical, that this is symbolic of something else. And I would actually argue against that. I would say that the best way to look at this passage is a literally, right? You do not want to over, uh, you know, symbolize this. Doing that is a trap. I think John is being quite literal, but there are some considerations that we should probably make, right? Number one, John is looking at a picture of the future. Okay? 
I guarantee you, John would not be able to describe many of the things that we see today. Okay? You see a fighter jet in the air. Maybe some of you saw some of the fighter jets in the air from the air show. And they're all circling around here. Some of them are landing on carriers, right? There was a, a, an army jet that was flying around earlier, flying around this area, right? It was an F-35, Right, one of those, one of those uh, just crazy psycho fighter jets. I mean, they're the new, they're the brand new, they're the newest ones that are going around. Right? What happens if John saw an F thirty five flying in the air? How would he describe it? He doesn't know what an airplane is. He doesn't know what a jet is. When he hears the the, the rumbling in the sky, he's going to call it thunder, isn't he? Right? If he sees an afterburner, he might refer to it as something that is fire like. Right? Now, I'm not saying that he's seeing a bunch of jets here, and I'm certainly not saying that he's seeing a bunch of missiles or anything like that, but what I am saying is John has to use terminology of his day to describe what he's seeing. And this is judgment coming from God, so I doubt this is a, a Raptor, uh, you know, an F-22, or if it's a F-18. I don't think that this is a military type of thing. I actually think that these are natural elements that John is actually seeing. This is judgment coming from God, right? God doesn't need a fighter jet to execute judgment. I just want you to know that, right? He doesn't. He doesn't need a tank to execute judgment. All he needs to do is snap his fingers. And I, you know, I do think it is so incredible when you consider the fact that God's power is so awe-inspiring. We have no idea how to be able to depict it or understand it, right? To this day, we can see a big fighter jet going through the air and it breaking the sound barrier. And the excruciatingly painful sound can be the most intimidating thing that you ever see. Yet, why is it today when massive thunder and lightning and crazy wind comes our way, we're more scared of that than we are? fighter jet you ever wonder that why do you think the fighter pilots are more scared of the weather than they are another fighter jet because the weather can knock them out god's power guys doesn't need to be supplemented okay when he's judging the earth he doesn't we don't need to supplement what he's doing by this and i know people that will read passages like this oh this is the description of a 3834 cluster mis- missile that's being shot out of russia and it's going through the sky and we actually see it. the afterburners actually appear to be like fire it's been described as fire by the person that designed it i've heard uh, kooks say things like that and i call them kooks they are they're they're, they're wacky okay I don't think God needs any of that stuff. I actually think that we discount God. I think that we actually put down the power of God when we say that God can't bring on something as crazy as something. Put it this way. Let me just say this. We look at atomic bombs, right? We look at nuclear bombs and we think of the power of, of one nuclear bomb, right? You think, oh man, a nuclear bomb is really powerful. And, and if, it, if, it, if it lands anywhere, it's going to blow up everything within it, right? Well, you ought to talk to a physicist that will actually make the calculation of what it would look like if a meteorite, let's just say a meteorite, the size of this building hit the earth. It would be so catastrophic that it would do more damage than a hundred nuclear weapons. You think God's got a lot more power than we do. We're like little man. We're like creating little snap pops, you know, little pop cap, and God's the one going, boom, you know what I mean? I mean, even our little nuclear weapons mean nothing to the power of God's judgment when he's judging the earth. And so what John is describing here, I think, is quite literal. 
I think it's serious. And it eats up, listen to this, guys, the third of the vegetation. This is God judging the vegetation. And I think there's a reason behind it. I think that God, in all of his wisdom, understands and knows how foolish we are. I mean, what are we doing these days, you guys? Aren't we so absurd with the behavior of man that's running around and going, save the trees, hug a tree, and and, and preserve the forest. And they're doing all these other weird things. And don't get me wrong, we should be good stewards of, of the environment that God has given us. I'm not all about polluting the environment and doing all kinds of things like that. We should be wise stewards with the, with the earth that God has, has provided for us. But at the same time, are you kidding me? We're going to start worshiping trees now and we're going to start kissing them and doing all kinds of other things behind there. You know what God says? God says, okay, you want to bow down to those trees? I'm going to burn those trees. A third. By the way, a third of the vegetation on this earth going away is enough to change the climate of this world. Okay? It's, it's enough to change your ability to breathe in this world. When we were up, up in Oregon, the air was nasty. I mean, if you were up there for more than, you know, three or four hours outside, I mean, there were people, our people, there were point, and I, I thank God that they did that. I'm glad that they weren't stupid like me. But every single person on our team at one point or another at least went into the car for at least a half hour, 45 minutes and closed their eyes while they put the air conditioner on good for them. They were wise. You want to know why? Because the air out there was toxic as could be. Why? Because hundreds and thousands and millions of acres of trees were burning all around that area. The smoke that's created from that completely changed the climate. I mean, it literally looked like an apocalypse was going on. It looked like it was a sunset for half the day. I mean, that crazy. Can you imagine if the third of all the vegetation on the earth is on fire? Could you imagine how crazy that would be? Could you imagine? I think that what that is, is God judging the world for their worship of these things. Right? This is, God, God is so wise in his judgments and what he does. He knows exactly what he's doing. That's why I always laugh at the, at the person that says, well, God is not a just God because he did this unjustly and he judges and da, da, da. And he's a, no, you're just a foolish person. You don't know any better. You don't realize how indeed God is just, right? And he's wise to do the things that he does. But I mean, a third of the vegetation on the earth must be horrible, right? Must be a horrible situation. Verse 8, it says, And the second angel sounded, and as it were, a great mountain burning with fire was cast into the sea, and a third part of the sea became blood. Imagine that picture, that a, a mountain. And I want you to notice what he says. He, and these are some subtleties that I think it's very easy to miss. Everybody's like, the mountain is going to go into the ocean. The Bible says it. No, read it very closely what it says here. It says, and a second angel sounded, and it says, and as it were, a great mountain burning with fire was cast into the sea. So in other words, something like a great mountain burning with fire was cast into the sea. Now, what could it be? Some people have different ideas what it could be. It could be some, you know, nuclear thing people talk about. I don't think so. I actually think that it could be some sort of a meteor, right? It's a meteor coming out of the sky. It would make sense. If it was big enough, of course it would keep burning. It would be burning at a temperature so significant it would, it, it would be unbelievable. And, and the idea is when it says that it hits the sea, it says a third part of the sea became blood. What does that mean, a third part of the sea became blood? Now, we could be talking about the Mediterranean. And if he's talking about the Mediterranean, well, 
That's a smaller area. And to him, the Mediterranean was the only sea that he would know. That's what he could be looking at. Or he could be looking at some sort of an overview of the whole earth. We don't know, right? But he says a third part of the sea becomes blood. Now, what could that be? Well, think about this, guys. If there is a meteorite that's coming and it's entering the earth's atmosphere and it's burning, and I'm just offering one explanation. It could be a million things, right? And it's burning and it's burning severely because it's hot because of the heat that it built up on entry to the earth, that would be hot enough. You ready for this, guys? That would be hot enough that the very second it combined with water, the water would become very molten-ish. You know what I'm talking about? It would look like something resembling lava. Could you imagine a third of the sea becoming that way? By the way, this is not an unusual concept when you think about the sea becoming that way or water changing its properties because of heat. Anybody here with firefighting experience? Anybody raise your hand? Anybody? Okay. All right. So if you have firefighting experience, then you understand this principle, bro. You get the idea, right? If you have a group of people that are inside of a fire, what's the last thing you want to do with a hose? You do not want to hose that fire down, right? Because if you've got somebody in a burning building with, and the, and the building is on fire, you ever wonder why firefighters actually go? And I used to wonder this until I asked a friend of mine who's a firefighter, a retired firefighter, but I asked him, I said, why is it that you bozos choose to run into a burning building and get people while the building is burning? Why don't you just hose it down first and then get the people? Have them wait over there. He says, you're actually the bozo, James. He says, because if we light up the water, if we light up the hoses, they call them cannons. If we light up the water cannons, right? You know what's going to end up happening when the fire enters the building? It's going to boil everybody alive because the the fire is so hot by the time it's burning a house that when you throw the hose on the fire guess what the the water while it's on its way in is going to create a steaming effect that's going to be so significant that everybody in that room is going to burn and if you're in the wilderness it's the same way what do you think they call these guys hot shots these guys that that fight fires in the wilderness you know those guys are no joke i mean believe me you talk to these guys that fight these fires over there they're risking their lives like crazy because they're not gonna if they even have a hose with them they'd be dumb to hose something down when they know their compadres on the, are on the other side. Those guys will die. What they do is they, they get in these little crazy things and they just dig themselves in the ground a little bit and pray they don't end up getting burned. And it's amazing what some of these guys... We had a kid that came to the church here. That, that's what he was. He was, a, he, they, he was one of the hot shots. And they, he went everywhere from Arizona to Idaho to this to that to fighting fires. And it's, a, it's that same kind of a concept or principle. The properties of water can change so dramatically fast when touched with something hot. And, and it's just a crazy thing. Like you've ever seen that happen. Like you've ever seen the, the you know, gold rush or you know, watch any of these shows where they, they heat up iron really quickly they heat up gold and then they stick it in water what happens in the water the water starts boiling instantly doesn't it you begin to hear it and it's boiling you know what i'm talking about it's that kind of concept so this is not an unusual uh, idea here that that something that represents it looks like a mountain of fire coming in and literally destroys the third part of the ocean this is a very very interesting concept in that god is now destroying a third part of the ocean right now, the next judgment, it looks like he's going to destroy a part of the fresh water, right? He's going to attack the fresh water. Look at this, or he's going to place his judgment upon that. It says, and the third part of the creatures which were in the sea had life, died, and the third part of the ships were destroyed. Also, also talking about the ocean and all that, right? So look at this in verse 10. It says, and the third angel, by the way, could you imagine being a ship that was right there? Like you, you know, you're right there when it was, you're watching this big old mountain coming at you. I mean, I guess the good part about it is that you die very quickly, right? 
I mean, you're done. I mean, you just see it. And then all of a sudden, boop, you're out, lights out. And then you get judged by God and go to hell. That's, that's even worse, you know. I mean, I mean, you just think about that. That's what a crazy way to live. You know what I mean? I would hope they could say, Jesus, I need you right away. I would hope, you know, but you know, they're probably waving their fist at God as that mountain is coming down at them. Kind of a crazy picture when you think about it. Look at verse 10. It says, and a third angel sounded and there fell a great star from heaven burning as it were a lamp and it fell upon the third part of the rivers and upon the fountains of waters. So uh, this is interesting. We see this star coming down. It appeared to be a star coming down from heaven. There's some interesting facts about stars and the way stars work and different things like that uh the the picture that's created for us here is pretty significant but it comes in and it destroys a third of the fresh water by the way just so that you know without food people can survive a long time right especially if you're like me right you got a lot of meat on you that can kind of keep you sustained and you got a lot of fat that your body can draw from and all that kind of stuff you can survive for quite some time there are people that have survived without food for a very very long time we're talking about months right you have no water, typically you have about three days to live. By the time you get to day three, you're done. You're pretty much going to die, right? You can live without water for maybe a couple of days and come out of that safe without brain damage and all that other stuff. By the time you get to, to day three, you're going to go into cardiac arrest. Something is going to happen. You're finished, right? Got to have water. A third of the earth's water supply is gone. Think about that picture. A lot of the wars that go on around the world today are over water rights. A lot of the infighting that's going on amongst families overseas and even in certain parts of this country exist over water rights. Water, water, water. Imagine if a third part of the water was just gone. Can you imagine? That's serious judgment. Look at what it's talking about, going on to elaborate on this third trumpet, right? It says, and the name of the star is called Wormwood, and a third part of the waters became Wormwood, and many men died of the waters because they were made bitter. Wormwood is a very bitter element, right? We know that. And so the idea is, is they were made bitter, and, and that's, uh, that's the idea, and they died drinking of it. So apparently this item, this thing that was put in the water is some sort of a poisonous element. We just really don't know. Look at the fourth trumpet. Verse 12, and the fourth angel sounded, and the third part of the sun was smitten, and the third part of the moon, and a third part of the stars, so as the third part of them was darkened, and the day shone not for a third part of it, and the night likewise. Now, the Lord here attacks part of the ecosystem with respect to the idea that now he's, he's beginning to attack the climate. I mean, a third part of the sun, you guys, a third part of the moon, and a third part of the stars, can you imagine how devastating that would be? I mean, when, when we can sense the, the sun changing in any way, it dramatically affects things. I mean, considerably affects things. I mean, for those of you that have any knowledge of, of RF theory and, you know, you're, you're like me and you, you, you operate ham radios or whatever, you know how a sunspot can change things. We have these things called sun cycles and it kind of relates to the, the, how the sun functions and there's different mechanisms within the sun. The sun bursts these crazy bursts and these bursts can affect the troposphere and the, you know, uh, the things that, you know, the elements that surround the earth, which can dramatically affect the way we communicate with radio frequency. And that's a small thing. That's the sun really doing nothing. Can you imagine if we lose a third of the sun? 
You know that they say, this is an interesting fact, and I'd have to get this confirmed, but as I understand it, if the sun is even a few inches closer to the earth than where it is, it will completely scorch the earth. Burn it down. If the sun was a little bit further away, it'd freeze. Think about that. God in his infinite wisdom in how he places those things in front of us. Can you imagine? All of that's about to be disrupted. Why? Because God knows better than man, doesn't he? And he's executing his judgment here. And we're gonna, I'm going to have a word for those of us that, that, that don't see it that way. Right? We're going to talk about that in a minute. It says, And beheld, I heard an angel flying through the midst of heaven, saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth by reason of the other voices of the trumpet of the three angels, which are yet to be sounded. In other words, not woe, woe, woe for, for all of the horrible things that have just happened. It's woe, woe, and woe for the last three trumpets. Oh, my goodness. Woe, woe, woe. King James, by the way, when you say woe, it's like the, the, the modern day translation is woe. Like, and not a, not a good woe. Not like a woe, bro, look at that. Woe, like, oh, how horrible. Oh, how devastating. That's the way you would translate a woe today. A woe is like, oh, how horrible. Oh, how devastating. Oh, how awful. Oh, how ugly. That's what woe is. The impending judgments that are going to take place that we're going to read about are going to be so horrible. I mean, a star falling from heaven unto the earth? Oh, my goodness. I mean, the description that we're about to read when we get into chapter 9 is significant. And the abyss being unlocked, and we're going to talk about that and the ugliness that comes from all of that. I mean, what a horrible, horrible ending. Now, little closing observation and comment and thought about the things that we just read. There is a tendency, as there normally is with us, when we see the judgment of God, to say God is unjust, right? One of the, the most common things that I see happen with atheists, people that call themselves atheists, but they, they do believe in a God. It's just not the God that they claim doesn't exist, right? There's other gods that they believe in. They're not real atheists. I, most atheists I've ever met are not real atheists, right? They rush to passages like this. And they say, look at how unjust God is. Look at what kind of a cruel God would do all of this. I always ask this question. I say, if I have a project in the parking lot and my responsibility is to flatten the parking lot, I got to level it, right? I'm putting tar on the parking lot and I'm flattening it. And I say that we have a device that's bigger than life. It's massive. And we spend a lot of money to pre-program it to go across the parking lot. And it will literally destroy everything in its path. And we write emails to everybody. We knock on everybody's door. We have personal conversations with them. We warn them again and again and again and again and again. And right before the judgment happens, you guys get where I'm going with this? Right before we execute the steamroller, 
we actually get on a speaker, a loudspeaker, and we say, everybody that's in the parking lot, get out of the way. Now, if you stand in front of the parking lot and say, whatever, I don't care. Who's the unjust one? When the steamroller starts and it's coming your way at a very slow pace. If the operator who pushed the button jumps off while it's moving and risks his own life so that you don't have to die. Pushes you away so you don't have to die. And you still walk in front of it. Who's wrong? Who's the one that's unjust? Who's the one that actually should be deemed as incorrect? Shouldn't be God. God did everything he warned to, that he could to warn you, didn't he? He did everything to tell you that something bad was coming. He did everything he could to tell you that, hey, judgment is coming your way. But what do we do? We say, nah. I know better than God. And then when judgment comes, you wave your fist at God and say, hey, cursed be you, God, because you did this to me. No, actually, cursed be you because you chose to disobey. Cursed be you because you chose to tell God to get lost when God was doing everything he could to warn you, including allowed his son to be crucified, crucified his own son, that you would not have to suffer. And yet you call God an unjust God? You have the audacity to say that. You just either, either you're a very arrogant, proud person that doesn't know better and you're so reprobate of heart that you just don't know your head from your rear, or, or you just are simply that ignorant. And most people that I know, I've never been just simply that ignorant. Most of them just have seared hearts, seared consciences. Why do you think God would actually tell us about this in the book of Revelation? You think he would tell us about this in the book of Revelation simply so that we could say, ha, 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 all those guys are going to be bad guys, right? I think he tells us this because his grace and his mercy wants to give somebody just yet another chance, doesn't he? I have a friend. This is an amazing story. Talk about the grace of God. I have a friend, a very dear friend, by the way. Interesting, we talk about the military. His father was the first World War II pilot I ever got to officiate a memorial service for. What an honor. I've done lots of services for vets. Uh, that was my first World War II vet. I was a pilot, too. I remember being asked to go visit his dad in the hospital. I went to the hospital. I see him by his dad, and his dad has lost consciousness at this point because he can't breathe. And he keeps telling his dad, my friend keeps telling his dad, he says, Pops, Jesus loves you. Hey, Pops, Jesus loves you. Do you know that? Jesus loves you. And I'm beginning to make the connection. I'm saying, hey, bro, your dad doesn't know the Lord? He said, No. I've been thinking of a way to try to tell my dad and talk to my dad and I've tried and I just, I, James, can you please help? Can you please help? This is a man who's 94 years old. I didn't know this at, at the time, but he had less than 48 hours to live. And I'm sitting by his side and I tell him the gospel. And he's squeezing my hand. 
And I say, listen, if you can hear what I just told you, squeeze my hand two times. He does. Okay. If you want to receive Christ in your heart, squeeze my hand. Just squeeze it. And he does. So we're going to pray. I know you can't talk to me, but I know you can hear me. You're squeezing my hand. I know you can hear me. It's not some autonomous response. So I pray. And I tell him, mind you, before I pray, I said, if you want to receive the Lord, if you want to pray with me, just squeeze my hand right now. He squeezed my hand. When I started praying, he kept squeezing my hand. Again and 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 again until we stopped praying. When he stopped praying, he stopped squeezing my hand. That was it. Never regained consciousness, never got much better. But we know by the grace of God, it's hard for me not to get emotional, that that man's in heaven, right? I know it, convinced of it. His whole life, he rejected God. But God still, in his grace and his mercy, sent somebody to him right before he died to make that decision. Now, that's not going to happen with everybody, right? But the one thing we can say with everybody is that God is fair in continuing to warn us about impending judgment, isn't he? Isn't he? He's good. He's really good. He's really good. He's faithful, guys. When we read books like the book of Revelation, man, we should be excited in our hearts about what God is going to do, not only for us in the future, but for the new world that we're going to see one day, right? The new heaven and the new earth. We're not going to live this crazy life that we live from day to day, right? We're not going to be in the midst of all this garbage and have to experience the kind of caca that we face day in and day out. That's a pulpit word right there, isn't it, right? We are going to get to experience the grace that comes with a God that loves us so much that he would take the time to warn us about everything that's around us. Guys, that is wonderful, is it not? We have an opportunity to say, Lord Jesus, I want you in my heart, not only just as for salvation. Most of us have done that. I think maybe all of us have done that. I don't know. But to say, Lord, I want you in my heart every day. I want you to be the focus of my heart. I want you to be what's at the center of my heart. I want to seek you more and more with every waking moment. That is, I think, the call of God upon our lives. That we would seek God in that way, continuing to grow, knowing, knowing full well what our future holds. Knowing what the future of the world holds. It's exciting stuff, isn't it, guys? Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. May we, Lord, just continue to get excited about the fact that you are moving, Father, and that good things are happening, Lord. We're excited about your work in our, in our hearts and in our lives, Lord, in our midst, Lord, and we just ask for intervention. We ask for the filling and the anointing of your spirit, Lord, and we pray that you would just continue to give us focus, Lord, and a burden for you. So, Lord, we love you, God. We thank you, and we ask that you would go before us now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.